Well, good morning. I invite you to turn with me to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8 as we continue along in our series through the book of Acts. Uh, I promise this morning uh, that we're not going to do 70-something verses like last week. Um, that was uh, just the nature of the story last week. And so uh, we had a lot of verses last week. This week uh, we'll have significantly fewer than that, about 10% of that. So, uh, so no worries. Uh, if last week stressed you out by how long it was. Um, Acts chapter 8, that's where we're going to be this morning. Uh, we're going to pick up right where we left off last week at the end of chapter 7. That's where we're going to be beginning. Uh, chapter 8, uh, the second half of verse 1. Acts chapter 8, second half of verse 1 says this, And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. A devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Let me pray for us this morning. Holy Father, give us ears to hear what you're saying to us from your word this morning. Sometimes we open your word and it is a a breath of fresh air. It is just the, the joy uh, that we need for the moment. God, other times it's convicting. It is, it is piercing into our soul and, and revealing the things in our lives that we need to change. We pray, Father, that this morning it would be both, that it would be uh, encouraging and uplifting to our souls, that it would give us joy and life and peace through Jesus, but God, we also pray that it would be convicting to our souls, that it would be uh, life-changing, that your word would show us what it is that we need to, uh, to do, how we need to correct our lives to live in accordance with your word. So, Father, we pray this morning that we would have ears to hear what you're saying through your word, and God, give us a heart that is ready to apply it. Let us leave this morning different than when we came. Let's leave this morning better than when we came. Let's leave this morning in a closer relationship with you, with a better understanding of you, and a life that is more aligned with you than when we walked in this morning. God, change us through your word. We love you and praise you, and it's in the beautiful, precious, holy name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Now, ordinarily, uh, I, I start a sermon with a funny story or a a uh, particularly uh, memorable anecdote. All right, if you if you read a book on preaching or you go to a class on preaching, you learn to grab the audience's attention and then uh, try to orient them to whatever the sermon is about. So normally that's what I'll do. I'll start the sermon with a funny story. It's a story that's funny to everybody. Maybe it's a story that's just funny to me and gets absolutely zero laughs, and that's okay. Um, and sometimes it's a story that's not funny to anybody at all. It's it's a serious thing, uh, but it's a story that just gets us thinking. That's the, normally how I'll start us out, but uh, not this morning, uh, and not for this text, because Acts chapter 8 takes place in the context of a tragedy. Uh, Acts chapter 8 takes place in the context of a, a difficult, heart-breaking, uh, gut-wrenching moment in the church. You think back with me to what we, we read last week in Acts chapter 7. Uh, there's a guy named Stephen, and Stephen was this a godly guy who was revered by the church. Think about it. Out of the thousands of Christians in the early church in Jerusalem, they selected Stephen as one of seven men to lead and help the church in a very specific way. So he was highly revered by the church. Stephen was a man of God, a wise man uh, who was full of wisdom of the Holy Spirit, who, who loved people and wanted to meet their needs. He was a, 
a good godly man who was highly thought of in the church. And then Stephen was, was carried by this group of men who hated his message. While he was out preaching the gospel, while he was out sharing the good news of eternal life in Jesus, he was carried by this group of angry men who, who disagreed with him before a court, placed on trial for his faith, dragged outside of the city, and then murdered. Right, you think about it, the, the blood of the very first martyr in the church's history was soaking into the ground in the field outside of Jerusalem. And all around him, there were rocks that lay strewn by, by an angry mob who left them after they had picked them up to throw them at Stephen until his body crumpled into the ground. And that same mob, that same angry group that had murdered Stephen turned around, went back into the city, and they, they began raging against the church. That same group turned around, and they began finding, arresting, and killing Christians throughout Jerusalem. And that's exactly where the story picks up in Acts chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. Verse 1, it says, There arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. They were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Verse 3, Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. This moment is a tragedy for the early church. Think about in your own life, the, a tragedy that you've gone through. This, this heartbreaking, gut-wrenching moment that you've gone through, uh, just as part of being alive, as part of being human. Maybe you lost a, a parent or a spouse, someone that you relied on and loved. And, and maybe you cried yourself to sleep at night because you missed them, and, and you cried out to God in anger because of his supposed silence and absence and negligence. And, and maybe when you finally got the tears to stop and you were finally uh, done crying, you, you, the feeling of dread and anxiety overwhelmed you as you thought about what the next few months might look like without them in it. Maybe you were abandoned by somebody you love, somebody that you rely on. And the, the feeling of dread and anxiety just hovered over you like a rain cloud, like just, just inescapable as you began to think about how this abandonment might affect you socially and financially. Maybe, maybe you lost a job, and, and you couldn't even process what happened. You hadn't even cleaned out your desk before the feelings of, of stress and worry and sorrow seeped in, and you began to think about how you're going to tell your wife or your husband and how you and your family were going to survive, how you and your family were, were going to get by. You, uh, we are all familiar with tragedy in our life, even collectively as a nation, events like 9-11 stick in our minds because they're events where we all as one group simultaneously experienced sorrow and stress and pain all together. And these are, there's this flashpoint, this moment where we all experience a tragedy together all at once. Or we know what it's like to experience tragedy, the, the really exhausting combination of sorrow and stress that comes where you, you can't get the tears to stop, and then when you do get the tears to stop, you can't get your heart to stop racing. There's a part of us, just as being alive, we experience tragedy. There's part of us just from, from existing in this world that is broken by sin. We know what it's like to experience tragedy, and that's exactly what the early church is going through. It's exactly what's happening here at this point in time 
recorded for us in Acts chapter 8, the early church is experiencing a tragedy. Stephen was murdered, and now people are coming after the rest of the church. They are going after them to try to arrest them and kill them. You can picture the early church here in verse 1. You can picture them huddling into their houses together, and you can see, uh, you can see them talking and, and, and praying and reading the word together as they were doing, as we found out throughout the book of Acts up to this point. They're, they're together in their homes, and you can see a messenger running in and breaking the bad news. Stephen is dead. An angry mob murdered him, and then Saul, uh, who's an important character in the book of Acts, important character in church history, who uh, Luke introduces here in Acts 8, uh, actually, the end of Acts 7, but Luke introduces him here. Uh, and he says, that Saul guy, uh, he led a group that, that invaded a house two neighborhoods over, and they dragged off the Christians to prison. And there's probably only a matter of time uh, before they get here to our house. You can feel what they're going through. You can feel the, the simultaneous mix of, of sadness of having lost a loved one, having seen their fellow believers get put in prison and get uh, maybe killed for their faith. Uh, while also worrying about their own safety. Uh, this is brand new for the church so far in Acts, right? The, uh, up to this point in Acts, things have been going really well for the church. There had been some uh, semblance of persecution, right? There'd be some, uh, there had been some uh, threats of violence, but this is brand new. As far as we know, Stephen was the very first person to die for his faith. This is all new to the church. At one uh, point, the Christians knew that they'd probably have violence, that there were threats against them, but here it is. Like they know now at this point that their uh, safety is in danger and the safety of their family is in danger. And we, as 21st century Christians in the United States, are, are pretty removed from this. We're pretty uh, distant from this idea and this concept. We don't really know what it's like. But just imagine if I called you tomorrow. And I said, hey, uh, things happened. Uh, Steve was killed and Val and Candy and Gordy and Elise were all arrested and thrown into prison, and they're coming after the rest of us. Sorry, Steve. That was <laughs> that was <laughs> Your name's very close to Stephen in the story, so it worked really well. So, um, uh, but imagine just the, the terror mixed with the sorrow, the, the dread of that tragic event. That's exactly what the church is going through. We see uh, that they scattered throughout the regions. Uh, verse 3, Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. The church was experiencing a tragedy. And the text is very clear that this is a tragedy. It doesn't sugarcoat anything. It doesn't try to minimize it or wash over it. Look with me in verse 2. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. So there were men from the church, these, these devout Christian men uh, who went secretly uh, f for fear of their own safety. They went secretly and they gathered Stephen's body. They brought it and they gave him a proper burial. And it says they made great lamentation over him. They mourned over him. They wept over him. And you can picture What's going on, we, again, it's a very cold statement that the devout men came and buried Stephen, but you, you can picture what they're feeling. You can picture what they're going through. You can, you can see uh, the tears welling up in their eyes as they go, come across his, 
his beaten and bloodied and bruised body that had been laid out in the ground outside of Jerusalem. And you can feel the heaviness of the moment as they lowered his body into a grave. And you can, you can sense and hear the, the tears and the sadness in their, their voice as they shared moments of joy, the moments that they had spent with Stephen, and, and they're talking about these moments in between conversations about their own safety and what they're going to do. You can feel the moment here. It is a tragedy. They, they raise a great lamentation over him. They mourned over him because it is tragic. Let me say this. If, if you are going through a tragedy today, if you go through something difficult in your life, we as Christians do not need to minimize what you're going through because the Bible doesn't. There are tragic things that happen in our lives, God sees it. God knows what you're going through. He knows that it's heartbreaking. He knows that it's painful. It is both true that God is holy, that God sees what you're going through, and that it can be really painful. Both of those things can be true at once. Is God good? Is God holy? Is God sovereign? Is God all-powerful? Yes, 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 and a thousand times yes. But that doesn't make tragedy any easier. That doesn't make the sad and difficult moments of our life any better. They're painful. Mourning and, and sadness are natural reactions to the moments of injustice and pain that we feel in our lives. The Bible says that we, as Christians, need to mourn with those who mourn and weep with those who weep because there are sad, tragic moments in our lives. There are difficult events. There is a time for mourning, as the Ecclesiastes says, because it's not right. It's not fair. It's not supposed to be like this. And my heart goes out to you if you're, if you're struggling with something, if you're experiencing a difficult moment if you're in your life, if you're experiencing a tragedy, because it's not fair. It's not supposed to be like that. God has made you for life and joy and peace. He didn't make you for pain. He didn't make you for sorrow. He didn't make you for death. And so we weep and we mourn because it's not fair. It's not right. It's not right that Stephen was murdered. It's not fair that Stephen was killed. And it's not fair that the Christians in Jerusalem were being arrested and killed for their faith and that these Christians in Jerusalem were, were faced with this persecution. It's not right. It's not fair. They were mourning. They raised a great lamentation over him. God saw what was going on, and it says in God's word that it was a tragedy. He raised a great lamentation over him, and, and faced with this persecution, faced with what was going on in their lives, uh, what was going on around them, they did the, the sensible thing. They got out. Christians there in Jerusalem decided to get out uh, from where they were again in verse 1. Great persecution arose against the church, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. Right? Sometimes God may call you to stay in the face of persecution, but there's also no biblical mandate to be stupid. Right? And so they left. They didn't have to stay. Uh, they, uh, other than the apostles, uh, everybody else left Jerusalem. They, they, they scattered. They spread away because of the uh, fear of their own life. You can, see again, see them huddled in the house. You can see them hearing, hearing the bad news. You can, 
you can feel the sense of dread and anxiety wash over them. And then the panic sets in, and they begin to, to scatter around the home, packing the things that they can carry with them, putting them together in a bag, and then, and then bolting and leaving the city, trying to get out of harm's way. And they left. They scattered throughout the city. And, and again, they, they were allowed to leave. The Bible doesn't paint this as a bad thing. Escaping persecution isn't bad, isn't wrong in most cases. But this is uh, a new and difficult challenge for the church. It's not necessarily a bad thing, but it is a difficult turn of events for the body of believers because uh, the question that we should be asking at this point in the story the question we should be asking at this point in Acts is, will the church survive when its people scatter? Like, will the church keep on going when the people of God uh, abandon Jerusalem, leave the city, and spread out throughout Judea and Samaria? Will it even continue? Or will persecution effectively snuff out the church? Well, this beautiful moment happens in verse 4. The story doesn't end there. The story continues, and look with me in verse 4. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Those who left Jerusalem for fear of their lives carried the gospel with them. Those who had to abandon their homes and abandon their livelihood, abandon the, the, the connections that they knew and made in Jerusalem, they had to abandon those things. They had to scatter throughout Judea and Samaria. Uh, those who scattered carried with them the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ. As they went, as they left, they carried with them uh, and boldly proclaimed the fact that there is salvation in Jesus Christ. So not only did the church continue, the church expanded. Like not only did the, this moment of tragedy uh, lead to the church scattering, it led to the gospel being spread throughout Judea and Samaria. Think back with me to Acts chapter 1, verse 8, uh, which again kind of serves as this outline for the book of Acts. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Check. And Judea and Samaria. Now, check. <laughs> they are now the witnesses for Jesus uh, spreading the gospel throughout the region of Judea and Samaria. Here's an example, verse 5. Philip went down to the city of Samaria, uh, or a city of Samaria, and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowd with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. So Philip, uh, if we think back to the beginning of Acts 7, Philip was one of the other uh, six men who were selected alongside Stephen to meet a need in the church at that time. So Philip, another guy who is revered by the church, is loved by the church, he had to flee for his life out of Jerusalem, and he decided to go to Samaria. Uh, now, if you have ever heard of uh, the good a sermon on the Good Samaritan or maybe a sermon on the uh, woman at the well, uh, then most likely you, you know that Jews hated Samaritans. And Samaritans hated Jews. Right? They hated each other. Now, uh, Samaria was this region uh, in between Galilee and Judea. Uh, it's this region now just kind of in the middle of what's now Israel. And the Jews hated the Samaritans so much that if they needed to go uh, to a city on the other side of Samaria, they would just go around it. They wouldn't even go through it. Right? They hated each other. And so Philip had the bright idea to go down there. Right? If you're escaping the Jews, if you're trying to escape persecution at the hands of Jews, why not go to Samaria? Right? They hate them. They're probably not going to go through there anyway. So, so Philip goes down, and while he's in Samaria, he, be, he thinks, why don't I preach the gospel? 
The Samaritans need Jesus. The Samaritans need to know the gospel. And so he goes down there and he proclaims the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ. And a crowd gathers and they begin to hear his message. Philip preached to them that Jesus was the Messiah. That he was the Savior of the world. He preached to them that Jesus died for the forgiveness of their sins. And he preached to them that Jesus rose again from the grave and is now seated at the right hand of God so that they can have confidence in the fact that Jesus can give them eternal life if they place their faith and their trust in him. He preached to them and said all they have to do is repent from their sins and place their faith in Jesus. And this crowd is gathering and they're all listening intently to the sermon that Philip is, is giving. And this, it's this crazy moment uh, where they're all listening intently, and it brings us back to moments earlier in the book of Acts, right, where the apostles are preaching the gospel in Jerusalem. They're proclaiming the good news, and people are gathering. There's a crowd that's coming together, and thousands of people are being saved day after day. As people are coming to know Jesus, they're hearing the good news. They're seeing the works that the apostles are doing. There's this glorious, great moments, uh, these glorious, great moments earlier in the book of Acts where God is working in Jerusalem. And we see that now in Samaria, that through Philip, God is doing a, a crazy, incredible movement in Samaria. And it's this beautiful moment that Philip had to leave Jerusalem. And while Jerusalem is in chaos, God is doing the same wonderful, great, mighty work in Samaria, in the midst of all that chaos, in the midst of this tragedy, God is doing this great and beautiful work in Samaria. Part of why they were so attuned to Philip's message is that God was confirming it as Philip was preaching it. Look with me again at the second half of verse 6. Uh, they were listening to him when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had them. And many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So again, again, this, this should bring up imagery, this should bring up ideas of things that happened earlier in the book of Acts. And this is very similar to what was happening in Jerusalem with the apostles, where the apostles proclaimed the gospel to people who had never heard it before. The Holy Spirit confirmed what was, that the message was true through these signs and these wonders, and the crowd believed. People came to faith in Jesus. That's what's happening here in Acts chapter 8, that Philip goes over to Samaria. He proclaims the gospel. God, in his infinite power and goodness, decides to prove to the Samaritans that the, the gospel is true, that it really is uh, the gospel, that Jesus really was the Messiah, that everything that Philip was saying was true. So God performs these signs and wonders, and people are getting healed, and ultimately people are coming to know Jesus. And where the gospel goes where Philip is proclaiming the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ, where these Christians who are scattered throughout Judea and Samaria take the message of the gospel, joy follows. Look with me in verse 8. There was much joy in that city. There was much joy in the, the city in the uh, middle of Samaria where Philip was preaching and proclaiming the good news of eternal life in Jesus Christ. I picture the scene in Samaria. Our lives are being changed. Hope is rising. Residents are experiencing eternal life and salvation for the very first time. Residents who had experienced affliction at the hands of various diseases or, uh, or evil spirits are experiencing release and, uh, and rescue for the very first time. 
joy is palpable in the city of Samaria. It's this beautiful moment that we saw. It's very similarly in Jerusalem earlier where there's this beautiful moment of life change and joy and excitement and happiness happening in the middle of uh, Samaria. Praise God that we serve a God who is big enough to turn a tragedy into a triumph. That we serve a God who is big enough to turn a, to, to turn a dilemma into deliverance. Because this is one of the lowest and worst moments of Philip's life. Philip just lost a good friend who was murdered by a mob of, of angry Jewish men who hated his message. And Philip watched as, as some of his fellow believers were imprisoned and killed for their faith. And Philip had to flee from his home. He had to abandon his life in Jerusalem. He had to run for his life to Samaria. It's one of the lowest and the worst moments of his life as he experienced a great tragedy. And God was able to turn that tragedy into triumph. Because he carried the gospel with him. He preached the gospel in Samaria. And many, many people came to know Jesus. Joy filled the city. At a time where there should have been mourning and sadness, joy and life and peace uh, opened up. What I want us to know from this text is the same thing that, that Philip understood in this passage. And it's this. God can use even your worst moment for kingdom expansion. God can use even your worst moments to expand his kingdom. Now, if you're like me, uh, most of us, as we read that, uh, that sounds a little off. And the reason that it sounds a little off is because that truth requires us to have a shift in our mindset. And a lot of us uh, are probably used to hearing ideas like, hey, God's going to turn things around for you, and it's going to be a lot better. Or, hey, when God closes one door, he opens an even better one. Or something like, hey, I know you're going through a really difficult time, you're going through pain, but God has got this huge blessing for you right on the other side of that pain. We're used to those ideas, and the reality is that we have allowed bits and pieces of the prosperity gospel to infiltrate our beliefs and to infiltrate our, uh, our churches. If I, uh, if I were to ask you, uh, if you think that God is going to grow your bank account and make it really big because you give money to the church, my guess is most of you would think no, uh, that there is no biblical promise that God would add zeros to your bank accounts if you give checks to the church. And you would be right. If you, if you do believe that, we need to have a conversation, right? But uh, I think hopefully most of us know and understand that, that there is no one-to-one -one transaction, no biblical promise that God is going to grow your bank account really big if you give money to the church. But if I were to ask you, that if God in his goodness was going to give you greater blessings and make your life better on the other side of a tragedy, I think most of us would assume that that's true. And the reason that I think most of us would assume that that's true is because that's what the vast majority of the best-selling Christian books right now teach. And Christians across the country are, are eating up these books 
because they, they teach that there is hope, there's life, there's, there's good, tangible, physical blessing on the other side of pain and tragedy. It's things that we want to hear, but the reality is that it's the prosperity gospel infiltrating our churches. That it's the prosperity gospel infiltrating our beliefs. If you want to go somewhere and hear a pastor tell you that there is physical, tangible blessing for you on the other side of your pain, you can go somewhere else. And there's no shortage of churches in the Dallas-Fort Worth area who will preach that. And there are no shortage of churches or pastors online who you can hear that message from. But let me tell you where you cannot go to get that message. The Bible. God's Word does not promise that there will be better physical blessing on the other side of your pain. Stephen was murdered. He died a painful, gruesome death, and he was a man of faith. These Christians in Jerusalem were, were arrested and killed and fled from their houses. There is no promise that things will be better for you physically in this life. That promise doesn't exist, so I'm not going to give it. You may end up like Job, where you go through a tragedy, you lose something, but like in the biblical story of Job, who lost everything after being faithful to the Lord, God gave him everything back and more. You may end up like Job. You pray for health, God may heal you. When you, when you pray uh, and you experience a financial hardship, God may bring you around on the other side and you may experience uh, financial security. You may be like Job. But you may also be like Stephen. You may also be like the Christians in Jerusalem who were arrested and killed for their faith or fled their houses. You may be like them who, who did not experience a tangible physical blessing on the other side. The reality is that we are called to be a church that is living for eternity today. And that means and we need to be about the things that God is about. We want to see accomplished the things that God wants to accomplish. Does God want you to have health and happiness and financial security? Absolutely. God wants you to have abundant life. But he promises to give you that abundant life in his eternal kingdom through his son. He does not promise to give you those physical, tangible blessings today. He promises that you'll experience even better tangible blessings for all of eternity in the kingdom through his son. So the greatest thing for us and the greatest thing that can take place on the world is not that we experience these tangible blessings. It's not that we get more money. It's not that we become happier. It's not that we become healthier. That, those are good things, but they're not great things. The greatest thing that can happen to us and the greatest thing that the world can experience is the kingdom of God expanding. We read verses like Romans 8, or like the one in Romans 8, that says that God works all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And we read into that a physical, tangible blessing, that, that God is going to work things out for me, that God is going to bring me about uh, on the other side of my pain, on the other side of this tragedy, God's going to make things really good for me that God will bring me about uh, financial security, that God will give me happiness, that God uh, will give me... Um, uh, health, that God will bring me through these things. And we, we read that on to the passage in Romans 8, but that's not what Paul is talking about in Romans chapter 8. 
what Paul is talking about in Romans chapter 8 is kingdom expansion because that is the greatest thing that can happen to you. Specifically, what Paul is talking about in Romans 8 is that we would grow in the image of Jesus. You see, God can use your tragedy, God can use the, the lowest moments of your life to grow you and shape you and mold you into the image of Jesus. And as you grow in the image of Jesus, you look more like the kingdom of Jesus, the kingdom of God. You look more like a resident and a citizen of the kingdom of God that you're called to be. So you grow in submission to Jesus. You begin to turn from your sins and you begin to walk in accordance uh, with righteousness and the life that God called for you. God can use your tragedies, your lowest moments, to grow you in Christ's likeness and to grow the kingdom of God in your own life, in your own heart. God can also use your tragedies to expand his kingdom. That's exactly what happened here in Acts chapter 8, that God used this low, tragic moment through in Philip's life and in the lives of other Christians to expand his kingdom. And notice what happened. God could have just given Philip his house back. God could have just protected Philip. But notice what happened, that even in this low moment, as God used the gospel and they used this tragedy in Philip's life to expand the kingdom of God, joy followed. The greatest joy for us is not to experience these physical, tangible blessings. The greatest joy for us is to see the kingdom of God expand, to see us grow in the image of Jesus, and to see more and more people come to know Christ. As we wait for the day when we will experience those tangible blessings, the greatest joy, the greatest thing for us will be to see more and more people come to know Jesus and to see us grow in the image of Christ and to glorify God with our lives. We need a mindset shift. Because it is great to say that God can turn around your worst circumstances and make them better for you. He can. And he will, ultimately, in all of eternity. But what the Bible teaches and what's an even better statement and what's an even greater source of joy, I hope, for you is that God can take even your worst circumstance and expand his kingdom with it. God can take even your worst circumstance and bring about life change and joy and hope everlasting through it. Listen, if you're here this morning and you're going through a really difficult time, if you're here this moment, moment and you're going through a tragedy, it's probably not very comforting for me to tell you that God can use that to expand his kingdom. I understand that. And I don't want to minimize what you're going through. God doesn't. God sees it, and, and it is hard. It is difficult. And so we, we mourn with you. Because I know that it is painful, that it is hard. God did not design you for this. God didn't design you for death. He didn't design you for pain. He didn't design you for illness. He didn't design you for any of these things. He designed you for eternal life, and that's what he wants you to experience. So we mourn as we experience the effect of sin. We, we, we feel a lot of times, like if I'm going through something difficult, if I'm going through something hard, if I'm experiencing a, a financial insecurity or bad health, then, then something's got to be wrong because we assume that God wants us to be happy and healthy and financially secure. And so if we think if we're not one of those things, then something has to be wrong with me. Something has to be wrong in my life. And let me just tell you, yes, something is wrong, and it's called sin. But not necessarily your sin. It's just the fact that the world has sin. 
that the world is broken and marred by rebellion against God. And so because of that, tragedies occur. Darkness happens. Pain and sadness uh, occur in our lives. But God can use even those moments to do incredible, mighty things for his kingdom. So I want to be able to tell you that there's life, and I will tell you that there is life. There is tangible benefit, but it's through the Son, Jesus Christ, that you can experience it for all of eternity. I'm going to tell you that what's even better than that is that if you're going through something difficult, if you're going through something hard, God can take even that moment and use it for his kingdom. You might have happiness. You might have joy if God heals you or if God makes you financially secure. But that joy pales in comparison to the joy of knowing that you are in a relationship with Jesus and that the kingdom of God is expanding. And God can do that. God can bring about that joy and that life even through a tragedy. We need a shift in our mindset. In addition to needing a shift in our mindset, we also need a shift in our practices. Right? We need a shift in our action. We need to carry the gospel with us wherever we go. How are people going to know the gospel? How are we going to see the kingdom of God expand if we do not share the message of entrance into the kingdom of God? If we do not share the gospel, if we do not share the message that Christ died and rose again so that we could be part of the kingdom of God, how are we going to see God move and see the kingdom expand if we do not carry the gospel message with us wherever we go? We need a shift in our mindset that realizes that gospel expansion, kingdom expansion is the greatest thing in the world for us. And we need a shift in our actions that realizes that no matter what we're going through, we need to carry the gospel with us. These Christians lost their home and were running in fear for their lives and they still proclaimed the gospel wherever they went. Whatever it is you're going through, we need to carry the gospel with us wherever we go so we can see the kingdom of God expand. Tertullian was a, a Christian who lived about 100 years after this event. Uh, was born about 100 years after this event. And uh, he witnessed uh, in the uh, second century, he witnessed persecution against Christians uh, in, in the church in Rome. Uh, he saw persecution uh, sporadically. It happened here and there. Uh, and so he witnessed events like this throughout his life on the church. And Tertullian wrote this. The blood of martyrs the seed of the church. So often as, as the church experiences persecution, so often as the church experiences brokenness and tragedy, God uses that to expand the kingdom of God. I think of China right now. That the, tr the church in China boasts of over 60 million Christians despite intense persecution, despite burning of church buildings and outlawing of their faith. I think of Iran right now, where, where Iran is home to, to one of the fastest-growing underground church movements in the world, despite intense persecution. The blood of the martyrs, the seed of the church. Like as we see uh, persecution happen, God can take even those low, tragic, terrible moments and use them to expand his kingdom. This morning, some of you need to enter the kingdom of God for the very first time. Everything that has happened in your life, everything good and everything bad has been pointing you and leading you to this one decision. Trust in Jesus for salvation. Trust in Jesus for eternal life. Because if you do not trust in Jesus, then you do not have the promise of eternal life. You will not experience the joy 
of life in the kingdom of God. And even your worst moments will be better than your experience of a life lived eternally away from God. There's the offer of eternal life in Jesus Christ. There's the offer to enter the kingdom of God. And this morning, the call goes out to you to enter the kingdom of God for the very first time, to trust in Jesus for salvation. In just a moment, we're going to sing. And as we sing, I'm going to be standing right here because I want to give you the opportunity to enter the kingdom of God for the very first time. So if that's you, if you've never trusted in Jesus, I just want you to come talk to me. I'm going to pray for you. I would love to talk with you about what it means to follow Jesus. I'll be right here while we sing. Others of you are going through a tragedy. You know you're going through a difficult time in your life right now. And there's nothing magical about coming to these steps and praying. There's, there's nothing super spiritual or special about it. But, uh, but I, there's something to do with the action, the act of coming down and submission to Jesus. What I want you to do is if you're going through a really difficult time right now, if you, would ex- if you are experiencing this tragedy and you feel the brokenness, you feel alone, you feel the sadness and the stress and the anxiety that accompany a tragedy, if, you, if you're going through something difficult right now, uh, the stairs are open. I would love for you to come down and just pray. Pray that the Lord would give you confidence in his ability to use what you're going through for his kingdom. Get mad. Voice your frustration. Voice your anger. Voice your grief. But pray that you would have confidence, that God would give you confidence, that he can use what you're going through for his kingdom, that what he can do through this is even better than what you can imagine, that the joy that he can bring from this event in your life is even better than what you could have planned for yourself. The stairs are open. As we sing, I invite you to come down and just pray for this confidence in the Lord to do something amazing in your life through this difficult situation. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I I thank you for the joy of eternal life in Jesus. I thank you that we do have the opportunity for life. That there is an offer of salvation for us. That we can go from death to life. That we can be set free from sin and death. God, I thank you that there is an escape from this misery and this pain. That there is an escape from this tragedy and it's an eternal life in Jesus. Father, I pray that every single person here would know the joy of eternal life in Christ. And I pray that every single person here would join me for all of eternity experiencing the tangible, physical joy of life in you. So Father, if there's anybody here this morning that has never entered into a relationship with you, if there's anybody here this morning who has never trusted in Jesus for salvation, I pray, Father, this morning would be the morning that they would enter your kingdom. I pray for those who are struggling. They're going through a difficult time in their life right now. I pray, Father, that you would would give them confidence in you. That they would know that you see them, that you know what they're going through, and that it does break your heart as well. That they weren't made for this tragedy. They weren't made for this difficult circumstance. They weren't made for this pain. Father, I pray that you would give them confidence that you are working in and through it, that you can take even our lowest and worst moments and do something amazing with them. 
pray that we would see your kingdom expand in our own lives as we grow into the image of Jesus and in the lives of the people around us as we carry the gospel with us wherever we go. And give us confidence in your work in our lives. Lord, we love you, praise you. It's in the name of Jesus that we